Let's see what the stew has for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, the Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew. So I guess we'd better be good. Today we have a special episode of the Gnomecast with me, Jared, your friendly neighborhood review gnome, and a special guest. We have a special guest here today on the Gnomecast. We're speaking to Megan Maracle. And I think uh, we should start off by saying who you are and why people should know you. I've seen you in a lot, uh, your name in a lot of uh, 5e products lately. And I've heard you on multiple podcasts talking about projects you've worked on. So would you care to introduce yourself and tell people why they might know your name? Yes, I am Megan Markle, and I'm an editor for Cobalt Press. Uh, I worked on books like The Creature Codex, The Tomobiles Beast 2. Those are the big ones. Empire of the Ghouls, another one that came out relatively recently that I've done. So, And then occasionally our amazing Twitch producer, Dot, will have me on our Cobalt chat. So sometimes people get to see my face. <laughs> I've watched some of the actual plays on there, but I haven't managed to sit through any Cobalt uh, chats yet. I want to, but I watch a lot of game related stuff so trying to slot everything into uh a schedule is not always the easiest thing to do <laughs> that is totally fair there's so much out there right now <laughs> now i know you mainly from your work with cobalt press but is there anything else that you've worked on in the rpg industry yes yes i actually got my start with wayfinder if you're not familiar with wayfinder it is a pathfinder slash starfinder fanzine uh, i started with them in late 2016, I think it was their Numeria issue, which I think came out either late 2016, early 2017, something like that. And then I also created a monster for the third book of the Tyrant's Grasp Adventure Path for Paizo. I think that was the, I think that book was called Last Watch. I think that's mm -hmm. so what it was. I made a, a little dragon. And that was fun. <laughs> I pitched his dragon pigeons, and so they were like, sure, you can make dragon pigeons. And I was like, you guys are the best. <laughs> so what was the very first project that you worked on for Kobold Press? You know, I'm glad that you asked me this ahead of time, because I had to actually look it up, because it's been a hot minute. <laughs> so it technically was two different projects. First off, they had just come off their Kickstarter of doing the, uh, the Midgard World book when I joined. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't involved in most of the Midgard World book. I believe Michelle Carter was the primary editor on that. Uh, but they did have me come in initially to do some conversion work between the Pathfinder appendix and the 5e appendix. Mm -hmm. So I did both editing and conversion work for both of those. And then at the same time, I also did edit on a tiny little PDF, I think it's PDF only, of a book called Items Wondrous Strange, which later on evolved into what is now the Vault of Magic. <laughs> I actually did give my players in my Margrave game a few things from that that particular PDF. So nice. <laughs> it it's been a while. I uh, I don't know how good. Well, I do know how good they are because I had to pull some of them for Mar for Vault of Magic. So, <laughs> but yes, that was a while ago. Yeah, I was gonna say I think the first time I remember hearing you on anything, I think it was on Dragon Talk when you were talking about the Tome of Beasts. Uh, Creature Codex, I think. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, I, yeah. I bet it was a creature. Yeah, because Wolfgang was on by himself for the Tome of Magic, because that's where the joke about the uh, Tome of Beast Two Electric Boogaloo started. Yes, the Beastaloo <laughs> one. Yeah, because they made that joke, and I was like, I am brand new to Cobalt. I have no idea what that joke is, but hey, it's a great joke. And oh my god, I'm freaking out. I'm at Wizards HQ right now. Um, like everyone was just so chill and welcoming and i was just like freaking out the whole time so that was an experience 
I noticed like I have I have met Wolfgang a few times and he seems very laid back every time I have met him because he's been like at a booth at like GaryCon or um at GameholeCon. Mm-hmm. And he just you know, I the very first time I talked to him was at Gen Con in two thousand eight. And that was early on and I picked up my subscription copy of uh Kobold Quarterly directly from him at nice. Gen Con that year. So <laughs> Heck yes. I had to read through all of those for Vault of Magic, so that's <laughs> there were a lot. Kobold Press uh or no, a Wolfgang, our Kobold in chief. Uh, he is very chill, which is great because the rest of us kobolds are running around, ah, and so he's like chill. What? What's the the Rus Fabra or whatever from that movie? I never can remember the line. But and I believe I met you at Gamehole Con one time at the Kobold Press booth. Possibly. Yes. My very uh, first Kobold uh, Con was <laughs> Gamehole. Yeah. It was me and Dan Dillon, and that was the same fall that uh what was it dungeon the mad mage came out mm-hmm. and that was the first time i had met uh dan face to face i talked to him online a lot but i hadn't met him face to face before that so that was that was kind of neat too oh yes he's great he was fun to, to work behind a booth with too because he's he has a lot of presence mm-hmm. right like you know there's some people that just have a presence um, so he was, he was a lot of fun. He was really good at, at talking to customers and everything. And I was sitting here like, I just edit things, but I will try and, <laughs> and say hi to people. So it was a great experience. So, um, beyond the 5e supplements that you put out, you also publish a line of Kobold guides. Would you care to discuss what, uh, comes out in that line of products? Sure. Um, I don't have too much involvement with them, but the Kobold guides are freaking awesome. Uh, for those that are not familiar with them, they are little small soft cover books that are system and setting agnostic, and they're filled with a bunch of essays. Uh, so by a bunch of different people in the industry, I usually, um, like I know we've had some by Ed Greenwood, I know Wolfgang usually tosses one in. We've just all kinds of different people that, that post different, uh, or that not post, but they give us different essays and we put them together. And we have... Like there's one on game mastering that's got all kinds of articles that, that tell you like how to handle when there's conflict, right? Or situations to how to handle something like romance, right? Like whether it's a PC on an NPC or two PCs, you know, how do you handle that properly at the table? A bunch of little things that would come up at a table, how to handle them. Our world building guide and our plots and campaigns guide. We've actually had authors tell us that they use those. So it's not just for D&D type stuff. Then there's, we have a combat, a magic, board game design non-board game design, game design book. Uh, and then our most recent one is the monster design one, which I actually have an article in, and that one's a lot of fun. I'm a little biased, though. Well, <laughs> I, have, I have enjoyed all of them. I haven't actually read the game design ones, but all of the rest of them I have enjoyed a lot. The world-building guide is, like, one of my favorites of all of them that have come out. There's just a lot of really good stuff in that one. Yes, that's the one we usually get. Like, when people come up to the booth and stuff, that's the one that they say usually helps them a lot. And that, like I said, it's system and setting agnostic. So it doesn't matter like what, if you're writing for a novel or if you're writing for like a Savage Worlds campaign or whatever you're doing, the world building one can definitely help you out. Mm-hmm. And to get prepared for this this review, I reread your section of the uh, Kobold Guide to Monsters. Oh, yay. And um, just for fun, since this was the topic that this was on, why would you say it's important for players to get to know an important villain before they encounter them? 
<sighs> um, I mean, if you want your whole podcast about this, I can do that. But uh, <laughs> the short answer is because no one cares about a villain they don't know. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you know, you got to think about all the villains that you're super excited when they get their comeuppance, right? But then there's the other villains where you're like, oh, right. That was a villain in this thing. <laughs> you know, and like, I found three really good examples for it. Like the, just the first three off the top of my head were like uh, in Harry Potter, Umbridge and Voldemort. Mm-hmm. Right? Like Voldemort's supposed to be the big bad, but Umbridge was the one that like everybody, whether you read the books or saw the movie, you just hated Umbridge. Yeah. Right? Like she's the one that has has more of that kind of loathing from the audience. And then the in Guardians of the Galaxy, there's that Ronin guy. Right? Yeah. Like, does anybody actually remember Ronan? Like, no offense <laughs> to the, the actor and everything, but like that was when they first kind of halfway hinted at Thanos. Yeah. And the audience knew that Thanos was gonna be a bigger deal. Mm-hmm. So everyone is like, we want Thanos. We don't care about this Ronin guy, whatever, right? <laughs> and then another situation is uh, Star Wars Phantom Menace, mm-hmm. right? Like, I love it when I Googled this one, right? Or when I searched on Google, because when you look up villains in Phantom Menace, you say Phantom Menace villain, it shows three different things, right? Because even Google doesn't know who the villain is for <laughs> Phantom Menace. So the official villain, right, is this um, this like Trade Federation dude, like... Newt Gunray, that's what it is. I wrote that mm-hmm. one down. So that's like the bad guy, right? He's the main villain. <laughs> Does anybody remember him? No. Everybody remembers like Sebulba being a little a little turd, right? <laughs> and then everyone remembers Darth Maul. Like mm-hmm. those are the two people think of when they think of those villains. And it's just those are the ones that have interactions with the heroes, with the protagonists. Those are the ones that successfully antagonize the protagonists, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, nobody cares about a villain that they don't know. You, you always want to make sure that you've got a villain that people interact with. You kind of build them up because otherwise it just feels like kind of paperwork. Yeah. Right. At that point, like when you're facing them. There will be a villain. They will be dangerous and they are interchangeable with whatever else goes in here. It might be thematic. <laughs> right. Yeah. I noticed that, especially when I was running Star Wars games, that yep. the, with the with the Empire, you, you know, the Empire is bad, but there's not a big impact because. If you're playing a rebel cell, you're not going to take down the whole empire by yourself. But if you find an officer and you make that officer the face of the empire and you make sure that like they publicly address a whole planet so that the player characters actually see them saying horrible things and make them not like this person, then that person is the face of the empire. And they can if they can defeat that person, it is satisfying. Yep. So. There has been a lot of activity from Cobalt Press recently <laughs> from the Ooh. Scarlet Citadel Mega Dungeon and the Southlands book and the Vault of Magic and between all of those projects and upcoming projects, just how little sleep are you getting? And would you like to talk about any of those? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you, you sleep when you can. Um, <laughs> no, honestly, um, our, our Cobalt in Chief is actually really good about making sure that we don't end up with that kind of crunch time mm-hmm. situation that is really common in the gaming industry. Yeah, like He regularly checks on us to make sure that he's like, are, are you good? Do you need assistance with something? You know, like he doesn't want us to be overworked or overstressed. So even though we are kind of ramping up, um, mm-hmm. we're mostly doing so in a way that is sustainable we're not killing ourselves for it we're not losing sleep for it so that i greatly appreciate Mm -hmm. as as an employee of cobalt press (laughs) i I greatly appreciate that because that that is a problem in the gaming industry you know the the crunch time thing and it's like oh "Oh, we gotta get this product out if we gotta work 90 hour days or whatever 
um, 90 hour days, 90 hour weeks, you know. <laughs> but, We've broken time. Right. <laughs> God, if I had 90 hours on a day, whew, I'd get so much editing done. But, uh, no, as far as our recent projects, um, I wasn't really involved in Scarlet Citadel. Uh, what I can say is it is a gorgeous book. <laughs> the matte folio is absolutely awesome. I have a copy of it as well, and I'm super excited about it. Steve Winter is an excellent designer. And then in the front of the book, we actually have an introduction about uh, what you can expect in this mm -hmm. adventure, which I really liked that Steve included that. Like I, I thought that was really, really cool. So the GM has just up front, here's what's in the book. Here's how to run this adventure. Yeah, and I haven't, I haven't had a chance to read through that cover to cover yet. But I am not normally a big mega dungeon type person, mm -hmm. but I do. I like the fact that like there's a settlement nearby and that's fleshed out. So it's not, you know, you have kind of the context in which this thing exists and there's kind of a story to the different levels as it's going down. And that, you know, when I say I'm not a, a mega dungeon person, I still always liked uh, Undermountain and Forgotten Realms. So that's kind of the thing that I like is when there is <laughs> heavy story. It's not, I don't just want to see like, a 200 room, you know, a bunch of traps. I kind of want some sort of thematic, interesting ins and outs to the actual story of the dungeon too. And this looks like it's definitely going to provide that. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And, and Steve's great. Like, like he, I know he put a lot of, a lot of work into making sure that it feels very thematic. There's a lot of like cool little subtleties in it, subtle like stories and, and stuff. And like, mm -hmm. like each NPC has their own like little miniature story of why they're here, what they're doing. And, so that's really cool. And then you also said Southlands and Vault of Magic. Uh, yeah, Southlands. Very anxiously awaiting my Southlands <laughs> PDF, at least. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. It is, Southlands is super awesome. And I can say that because I didn't work on it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Southlands World Book and the Player's Guide, I, I haven't worked on. I didn't work on. Um, mm -hmm. I kind of halfway saw a piece of it once when... Uh, our VTT converters were asking a question about something. Mm -hmm. But City of Cats and Tales Beneath the Sands, I did do the edit on both of those. Uh, those are supplements to the Southland stuff. City of Cats was super fun to edit. I really <laughs> enjoyed that one. Richard Pett's writing is phenomenal and so mm -hmm. much fun. Uh, and in City of Cats, for people that aren't familiar with City of Cats, it is a city of cats um i guess i didn't need to explain it like that i guess but, yeah, it really is a city of cats right right it's got a ton of cats the patron goddess is the cat goddess bastet uh yeah i mean it's it's pretty much in the name but um you know richard added a lot of great like new adventure hooks uh, some new npcs definitely fleshed out the city more gave it a lot more flavor mm -hmm. um, even down to like there's a menu in it for knoll cuisine <laughs> so if you really want to get deep dive into knoll cuisine just make sure you haven't eaten recently because it's not the most delicious sounding but i like knolls so i mean right there you go there you go <laughs> and then the other thing that was really cool about city of cats is we added a new like a new subsystem like a new mechanic in it mm -hmm. because the the thing about the city of cats is that there's kind of this subtle call on its citizens and it's this thing that no matter, even if you don't like your neighbor, you're all like, you know what, we're neighbors. So when people are coming in, you know, F those people out there because we're neighbors. <laughs> you know, I, I don't like my neighbor, but we're still neighbors. <laughs> so there's this kind of like subtle patriotism in the city. And uh, we actually codified that in a subsystem that you can use. So if your players 
are inhabitants of the city of cats, or they live in the city of cats for an extended period of time, like a couple of months, then there's these extra effects that can happen that are kind of like, almost like inspiration, but also kind of like layer actions kind of things, like these little Mm -hmm. things that they can take, they can kind of call on the city to aid them. But in very, it's like super subtle ways. Mm -hmm. But that's, I'm really excited to see like what people do with that, that little mechanic. See, I was already excited for this. Now I'm more excited for this. <laughs> I remember, um, actually, there was a mechanic, and I was just talking about this the other day on Twitter, telling people how cool this was. There was a mechanic in the uh, Empire of the Ghouls where you have NPCs that you recruit, and mm-hmm. instead of keeping track of them stat-wise, it's essentially like a layer action that triggers on a certain initiative count. Depending on how many you have recruited, you can spend a certain amount of points for them to do certain things. And I love that for keeping track of NPCs that I just I was so excited about that one. Yes, the grace point system uh, that had a lot of positive feedback in playtest. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked with Jeff Lee to kind of like uh, hone that down to get it exactly where it needed to be. And, and I'm really happy with with what turned out, uh, especially mm-hmm. after some additional playtest feedback. And yeah, the grace point mechanic is is really, really neat. I I would love to see us like use that more. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Uh, but for now, it's just in ghouls. I would definitely like to see that, you know, especially anytime you can recruit NPCs, because I like that they have an impact, but they don't have the same mechanical depth that the PCs have. It's right. they're there and they are doing a thing. So it's good that they're there, but they're not doing the exact same thing, the exact same way a player character would. Right. And it, it takes away that headache of now you have 20 NPCs to work with in yeah. addition to all of the monsters that you have to take care of as the GM, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I loved that mechanic. And then we have the Vault of Magic coming up, yes. which is exciting. Yes. <laughs> that one I know a lot about because I'm the lead editor and developer on that one. So exciting. Yeah, that one was a lot of fun because for that, I got to dive into a lot of the old kobold stuff. Mm-hmm. So some of the earliest Cobalt Quarterlies, some of our third edition, fourth edition stuff, and kind of like uh, reimagine those in 5e. Like, how mm-hmm. would they look? What would they do? So that was a lot of fun, kind of like bringing those, you know, forward in time, I guess. Uh, and then the other thing is it was super cool. It was just, it was a delight and an honor to work with all of our guest designers <laughs> that we have on it. Super exciting. You definitely had some interesting uh, names popping up in that uh, Kickstarter, yes. I remember. <laughs> oh, yes. It was it was so cool to be able to work with so many different, because, I mean, we, we never know who's going to say yes, right, when mm-hmm. we ask. And we weren't even sure if we could. We're like, oh, we're cobalt press, we're tiny, we're little kobolds, nobody knows <laughs> us, no one's going to say yes. And then they did, and we were like, yay, oh crap, what now? Um, so, so yeah, that was, that was really, really cool that all the guest designers were, were so wonderful to work with mm-hmm. and, and just, it, it was really cool to be able to bring their items to life and then getting to show them the art when it came in. And I was so cool. <laughs> what was interesting, you were just talking about, you know, being tiny kobolds. I know this is not always the, the best metric for everything, but I know the most recent ICV2 showed 5e non Wizards of the Coast as its own category was the third highest selling RPG, <laughs> which I thought was very interesting because I don't remember any other time when I have seen like the third party parts for D and D actually be a category in and of itself and score a top five position <laughs> in sales. 
that has definitely been yeah, an we're, interesting. Yeah, we're small but fierce. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and what's cool is things like the open game license help out. I'm excited to see it because I like to see a wide range of people on things. I like seeing lots of new ideas coming in. And for me personally, I feel like this is different than a lot of the D20 stuff that we saw in third edition. Yes. This it feels like people have a lot more personality and heart going into the things that they're working on in, you know, in this era than there were with some of the interesting, rapidly produced <laughs> third edition uh, supplements. No, and honestly, I think that's because of 5e's shift of focus, right? Like, for example, like, because when we're working on our monster books, one of the biggest things that uh, that we see, at least in 5e monster design, is if it's in the lore, the the monster better reflect the lore, mm-hmm. right? So if in the lore it hides under bridges and snatches people, it better have an ability that allows it to hide under things and snatch people, right? Mm-hmm. And in previous editions, there was a lot more focus kind of on the mechanics or so focused on the lore that you didn't really look at the mechanics, right? Mm-hmm. So 5e shift of the lore needs to tell the story of the mechanics and the mechanics need to be able to tell the lore of the creature. I think that shift allowed for a lot more of this narrative shift right in in all of the oh, third yeah. party design <laughs> some of some of my favorite memories of running uh tales of the old margrave were running the uh, storm bore and it charging through people and landing on them and <laughs> doing yes. lightning damage when it charges them and thunder damage when it jumps on top of them <laughs> oh and then also it likes eating your metal armor yes <laughs> that was a lot of fun that monster Heck yes. That was, you can thank Mr. Intracasso for that one. (laughs) So, you currently have a Kickstarter going for the uh, Tome of Heroes. What can we expect to see in a Tome of Heroes? Uh, A lot. (laughs) Um. (laughs) I I ask as if I don't have an email over here that lists a whole bunch of things in it. (laughs) Our our latest update was from the editor. That's me! Um... (laughs) Yeah, no, we, uh, it's, it's a lot that's going into the book. Uh, I mean, cause we apparently we're little tiny kobolds, but we don't know how to do small books, I guess. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, I mean, I guess that's why we use the word tome, but we've got, um, a handful of like new and expanded races and sub races. We've got some new subclasses. As I stated in my update today, our aim, if we get all of our stretch goals is about five new subclasses per class. Uh, that does not That's include the. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it doesn't see me. I'm like, oh, it doesn't sound like too much. But then you look at other books that have come out. And I'm like, oh, they only do two each. Maybe, maybe we, uh, we, maybe we overshot this, guys. No, no, we didn't. Okay, sure, let's go with it. But yeah, like that's all fun. We don't have anything for the artificer, unfortunately, because that's not an open content. Right. Um, or we won't have any subclasses for it. But there's still plenty of like weapons and alchemical goods and stuff like that. And yeah, we will have like an equipment section that's got some uh, some new weapons. Some of them are kind of a regional flavored weapons. Uh, like we've got the Kopesh is going to go into it. Mm-hmm. Little things like that. And then we all, I mean, as, as a lot of our books, we're also going to have a handful of magic items, a handful of spells, some new magic spell systems. Like we have a new Draconic Runes system coming out. Hmm. That's all about... Um, well, I don't want to spoil it too much, but there's runes. <laughs> there's runes in draconic, <laughs> and you get to cool do cool things with them. Yes, really cool. So for people that like rune magic and stuff like that, that should work. 
And then the other thing is we've got some new like downtime rules and little stuff like that coming in as well. See, I am interested in all of this. Even though I mainly DM, I get excited for my players to get to play with things. And so I like having a lot of player options and seeing them get to fiddle around with things, even when it gives me headaches sometimes. But <laughs> <laughs> things like the downtime options, that's actually where I'm very interested to see where things are going, because my brain loves to tinker in the spaces of 5e that doesn't that doesn't get quite as much attention in, you know, like I know Xanathar is introduced a lot more to downtime but there's for me at least there's always room to add more downtime material oh yeah for sure for sure um and one of our backgrounds uh that we're putting in the book is innkeeper so um and then one of our uh one of the stretch goals that's coming up i think it's revealed right now one of the possible stretch goals is downtime rules for like a manor or a trading company like how Mm -hmm. do you manage having that kind of business and employees kind of thing right because if you did want to be an innkeeper and you're like, all right, I'm going to go adventure for a bit. Well, what happens to your inn while mm-hmm. you're not there, right? Or when you're between adventures, what can you do in your inn? Yeah. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of cool downtime stuff that I'm really excited about. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that. What was interesting is I did I did run uh, Tales of the Old Margrave as a campaign. And a lot of the details of the setting came from what my players chose to do with their downtime. Because I was expecting them to travel all over the Mar- the Margrave and come up with reasons for them to stay at this coaching inn or to go to this place. And they went to Lavoca and they adopted it. <laughs> and they would find misfits from all over and they would bring them back to Lavoca. And they just built this tiny little, you know, village on the edge of the Margrave into a bigger town. And they just kept bringing more people back with them. And <laughs> oh, they- wow. They opened up a, a carpentry shop and brewery, and <laughs> most of them were were uh, bear folk. So, <laughs> so they they expanded all the time. That's cool. You you know you bring in some commerce in. <laughs> That's really neat. yeah. Players are always surprised. You never know what players are going to do. So oh yeah, I mean especially if they have a book full of options like this. Like goodness, what are we thinking? <laughs> and speaking of previous options, I know. My barbarian in the game picked uh, the Shadow Chewer subclass yes. for the barbarian. <laughs> yes, that is a fun one. I like that one a lot. <laughs> also made it hard to have peaceful interactions with any of the uh, Shadow Fae that uh, showed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, you can't always have the paladin be the stick in the mud, right? Like, <laughs> you gotta share that. <laughs> Otherwise, paladins get a bad rap, right? <laughs> um, and the other thing that you were saying, I am constantly warring with myself over, I don't want combat to be as granular as it was in 3.5, mm-hmm. but I also like more weapons than baseline D&D has right now, because I do like weird little, you know, things to show your personality by having something that's just a little bit different than a long sword or a great sword or something like that. Oh, yeah, totally. And so in our Midgard Heroes Handbook, and in our, I guess it also appears in our Beyond Damage Dice PDF, but uh, we introduced something called Weapon Options, mm. and it, it allows you to do something with the weapon other than deal damage with it, right? So, like, you can shoot an arrow and you can pin somebody to the tree behind them. You know, all the cool stuff you see in movies, <laughs> but you don't get to do that in D&D. Well, now you can. And in Tome of Heroes, we're adding new weapon options for the new weapons that are in that book. So mm-hmm. it's going to be stuff specific to those weapons. 
So not only do you have a cool Kopesh, but then also here's the cool like tripping or whatever weapon option you can do with the Kopesh, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really I, I enjoy having that expanded range a little bit. Um, I did have a halfling in one campaign who was using some of the archery options from beyond uh, damage dice and little murder halfling was a little scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will say, and I, I apologize for half of this being, what does Jared like in his game? <laughs> You're but good. I also, I saw, I forget what it was called. It was a variation of Snow Elves, and I saw... Oh, the Frostville? Yes. Yes. I, I am I'm here for that, because ever since I read this one Dragon Magazine article, like in the second edition days, and it was like an article on, on Snow Elves, and it was like, I, for some reason, that's just one of those things that is stuck in my mind that I wish more settings had specifically dedicated snow elves. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and elves are very tied to nature, so it would make sense that you'd have elves in every biome, right? Mm -hmm. Like, where are the rainforest elves or where are the desert elves? Well, now mm -hmm. we have, well, hopefully they're a stretch goal, but like the, we have the frost and desert elves. So we've got the yeah. northern frostfell and then the dunewalker are the desert elves. Um, so that's, that's really exciting because it brings new flavor. While mm -hmm. still having a, a race that people are more familiar with. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely excited for those. So here is a here's the tricky one. Of all the content that you have revealed so far, what is your favorite part of the Tome of Heroes? <laughs> and I, I guess you don't like the answer of all of it, right? <laughs> right I can't you you know, people ask me then as the editor, I'm like, I can't say that. If I pick a favorite and one of our designers is listening then they're going to be like, why didn't you pick mine, Megan? It's like, oh my god. Uh, honestly, so I guess my two favorite things about Tome of Heroes so far um, is the limited edition cover is freaking awesome. Like, I really... I And I didn't design it, so I can say that, right? Like, that is, that is a really, really cool-looking cover with, like, the green and the silver, and you get the little griffin and the sword. Mm -hmm. I am just, like, super geeking out about it. Um, I'm very excited <laughs> about the cover. But uh, honestly, the dragon rune system... Mm -hmm. Like that little subsystem, I think is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it'll definitely be like for people that like the idea of doing unique things with their magic. I think it'll mm -hmm. definitely be right up their alley. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really excited because the idea of like you draw a rune on something and then something happens. Uh, I, I always like that kind of stuff. Yeah, I um again because I'm old and I have many memories. <laughs> I remember the um the second edition uh Vikings handbook had a rune caster in it. And I was for some, I was just fascinated with that cuz it's like I like that cuz you can draw a rune in something and then do something with it. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like it's it's really really cool. Um yeah, this this is a fun one and it, it's I really like how uh customizable it is too, right? Like, it's a subsystem that you could use no matter what spells come out. Mm -hmm. So it's not just applicable to current spells. It's not just applicable to our deep magic spells. It's applicable to any magic in 5e mm -hmm. in general. So um, I'm very excited about it. I, I really like some of the uh, optional things that you have put into some of the books. Like, in deep magic, I liked the, uh, the alternate raise dead effects that you yes. had. And then the slight tweaks on certain existing spells that did something well known, but in a slightly different manner, like uh, like the uh, different fireballs and the uh, the yes. charm person variants. Yeah, I those, really like that. Those are awesome. Those three were written by our our kobold in chief 
the genius that he is. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a really cool thing, and and that kind of stuff helps people add flavor to things, right? Like that's that's what for the most part what people want in games. They want to have that kind of personal touch. They want to be able to have like I have this cool flavor that's just my thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like it's not Tensor's floating disc; it's Jared's floating disc, right? Yeah. You know, like <laughs> like that's the thing is that people want that kind of stuff. So I, I really liked when Wolfgang wrote all that. I was like, this is super cool. <laughs> and then, of course, Tasha's got like a personalized spell section, too, where you can like put chicken legs on things. And I'm like, I don't know if I'd put chicken legs, but you do you, <laughs> Tasha. Um, but but that little customizable stuff, that's that's what makes it really, really fun. After running uh, Tales from the Old Margrave, I don't think my players would want to see chicken legs on anything. <laughs> but... <laughs> Not giving away any content in there, but... Uh... That's, that's fair, that's fair. <laughs> so, are there any future projects that you are working on that you would like to talk about at the moment? Or is uh, the Tome of Heroes pretty much taking up uh, <laughs> the horizon right now? Uh, well, Tome of Heroes is definitely taking up my majority of my time. And uh, I, I like keeping all of my scales. And if I talk too much, <laughs> I think I might lose some scales to the wrath of Arco Bolden Chief. <laughs> But I can say that I know one concern with uh, books like Tome of Heroes is because it is setting agnostic. I know we have a lot of fans of our Midgard setting. They're like, well, where's a Midgard thing? You know, and it's like, well, Southlands is coming <laughs> on a boat steadily. <laughs> but, uh, shipping is crazy right now. But oh, anyway, yeah. but we are we are trying to make sure that we kind of alternate, right? Like we're, we're trying to make sure that we do a nice mix of setting agnostic and then Midgard friendly stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. So we do have a Midgard thing coming up. <laughs> I am not working on it, so I can't give too much information about it, which is probably a good thing, <laughs> but it does deal with Midgard, but not fully on Midgard itself. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So people that are into Midgard and into our world, we are about to have a big thing coming up. And then for those that like our monster books, our current cycle is about every two years. So you can definitely expect mm-hmm. to see another one of those coming up. Yeah, it's roughly about every two years, I think, between first tome, creature codex, second tome. Yeah. I, I know my thought every time there's a new one is, is like, okay, I really liked the Tome of Monsters. I'm going to check out the next book. I'm not expecting it to be as impressive as the first one. Then I got Creature Codex and I was like, wow, I love these things in here. I was like, Okay, I really like Creature Codex. I like the company. I'll pick up Tome of Beast 2. And then I start looking through that and going, wow. And I've gone through like multiple campaigns where all, like probably 75% of the monsters that I've used have actually come from those rather than any other sources. Yay! <laughs> I'm super excited. I'm very proud of our monster <laughs> books, but I guess I'm not allowed to say that one because I've worked on all of them except for the first one. So. <laughs> Yeah, I really enjoy the variety of things. And also, as a fan of killer whale wolf hybrids, thank you for getting the Aklut in there. <laughs> I, that's one of my favorite monsters, just because it's actually from, you know, real world folklore. It wasn't just somebody making it up like an owlbear. <laughs> right. No, yeah, there's, um, we have a lot of our designers that are really into folklore. Um, so it's really cool to see what they come up with. And I'm like, Psh- that can't be real. And then you look it up and you're like, oh my God, what happened to the people of this one region in like the ninth century BC that they came up with it? Like, 
those poor people, right? You know, and <laughs> some folklore is so hyper specific to like either to a region or to um, maybe some cultural practices or whatever. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh my God, what happened to these people, right? Like, why, why would they come up with something like this? Like, what, what scary thing happened in their world that made them believe this creature was out there doing these things, you know? Um, Alternatively, so this could be like their version of creepypasta. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that's true. I mean, I don't know what ninth century BC people were doing. Uh, or nine, is it nine BC nine thousand? I don't know. <laughs> I'm I'm not a historian. I'm an editor. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no folklore. Like you know, you you think you think you know what monsters are, and then you read some of the stuff, and you're like, wow, the. Uh, the amount of creativity that the human race has had over its existence <laughs> is terrifying sometimes. I have seen 10 different things that exist. I want to think of something that amalgamates all 10 of those things right. into one. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. So is there anything that you would like to share as you know, final words here? Anything that you want to impart to people that are, that are maybe on the fence about getting the uh, Tome of Heroes? Or... Anything else that you want to share? People that are on the fence. God, there's so much pressure. I'm just the editor. I just, <laughs> I'm not the marketing team. I know. What, whatever I say, the marketing team's going to be like, you could have said this. Oh, goodness. But but you know. You know things. You're the editor. <laughs> That's true. I mean, I guess if people are on the fence, I know um, one of the big concerns with third party is balance. And we are doing a playtester run on this. And mm-hmm. the playtesters, you can sign up as a backer to be a playtester. So mm-hmm. for one, that allows you to actually see the stuff ahead of time. But then that also allows you to help us make it better, right? Mm-hmm. And we've done this for our monster books too, where we've got a bunch of a lot of the backers are the playtesters. And all of our playtesters get credits and books and everything. But it really does help, right? Especially for, I know for our monster books, because I usually go through and I get to read all of that feedback. Mm-hmm. And Ben does an excellent job coordinating everything. But uh, yeah, like the feedback is so helpful. Like there have been several times just me personally knowing that Plato's feedback has affected how we balance some encounters in Empire of the Ghouls, right? How we've balanced some creatures. Some Plato's feedbacks even had us like almost rework a creature completely, right? Mm-hmm. So, and we're doing the same thing. We're playtesting all of this stuff as well. So for people that are concerned about balance, I don't know if that's what every listener is, is on the fence about, <laughs> uh, but I do know that we, we're making sure to do our due diligence with it so that these are as solid as they can be. I know, uh, I noticed when the uh, Kickstarter launched, I saw that you have uh, Brandis Stoddard on there and he's a friend of mine. And one of my first things was, Brandis, you're working on this? <laughs> <laughs> Um, we have talked quite a bit about, you know, fifth edition trends and how things should be structured. And we go back and forth analyzing, you know, like uh, Unearthed Arcana articles that uh, come out. So I, at least I personally was excited to see him on this project. Yep. yep. He did. Um, he did all the development and editing on our Southlands Players Guide as well. So mm-hmm. that one's coming out soon. So you get to see more of his stuff there. So <laughs> tons of fun. All right. Thank you so much for coming on the Gnomecast. We really appreciate you being on here. I hope at some point in the future we might, you know, rope you back in when uh, you have other Midgard things you can reveal. Yay! And thank you again. I mean, you've been a lot of fun to talk to. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so have you. I don't do these often or ever, really, because <laughs> I'm in the editor. I sit in the background and make words sound good. So, <laughs> But every every... 
every good project needs a good editor. <laughs> I suppose that's true. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, we're going to say goodbye for this Gnomecast. Thank you again for being on here, Megan. Heck yeah, thank you for having me. This show is funded by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You too can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnome Stew website to the Gnome Stew Patreon. This ad brought to you by Kobold Local Labor Union number 7. Tired of working day shift in wide open spaces without the comforting close confines of smooth tunneled walls? Tired of explaining elaborate home safety mechanisms to unscaly tall folk that have no patience for the fine gear work involved? Apprenticeships are now open with Kobold Local Labor Union number 7 from now until next Mino Workday. If you're enjoying the Gnomecast, you'll probably like many of the other Misdirected Mark shows. Here's one to check out. Bone, Stone, and Obsidian, Wayne and Robert take a deep dive into the dark sun setting and discuss it across all editions of D&D. You can find us all at gnomestew.com, at gnomestew on Twitter, and gnomestew on Facebook. You can find me at whatdoiknowjr.com and at at whatdoiknowjr on Twitter. Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Every good project needs a good editor.